messing with Father Ronnie a little bit earlier. Can y'all guys sit out here? That way I won't confuse myself by going. I'm easily confused. That way I also keep an eye on you and know when I'm messing up. Then I'll I go like, well, maybe I should shut up. But anyway, I was teasing him a little that about getting the password uh, for the internet for my iPad so that I could gee whiz everybody and be high tech and do like be really cool. That's that's really not the case. It's just I was lazy is more the case, and I didn't want to go through. There's my app. Uh, go through all of this uh, and write all this stuff down. So I'm already messing this whole thing up. Wrong app. Siri doesn't know nothing. Um, this was supposed to be already up and no. I'm doing all this like this so that I'll do it and not like give up on it. The last time I was here, which was just before Easter, is that right? I think I was right after Easter I left for Africa. Uh, I spoke to you guys about, from the 11th chapter of John, about belief, about believing and all. And, uh, how John, the Gospel of John, is that's the dominant word that is used in John. That's really the dominant message that God was bringing to his people through John was that all of this that Jesus was doing and being and happening and stuff was for our belief, for us to be able to believe and that we were just called simply to believe. Uh, I didn't know at that time, I, I knew, but didn't, I knew some things, didn't know some things. I think I may have even mentioned that, you know, sometimes when you preach a message, you're called to live the message. You know, I was thinking more like along the lines of maybe having a flat tire or something, you know. Uh, I did not know that just before I left for Africa, I got word that my son had melanoma. This is harder than I thought. <laughs> So, of course, I was reminded of what I'd preached. You know, much like Mary and Martha, Martha, I was struggling, and I kept hearing those words repeated. Do you believe? And so in my case, I flew out of, on a Wednesday, and my son was operated on on Wednesday to remove the cancer that was there. They knew it was cancer. It was a melanoma cancer. They just didn't know what stages it was in. And all, and the last word I had was that he was through the surgery. The surgeon said everything looked good and went well with their surgery. He had a spot on his head. There was a mole that started giving me trouble. He went to a dermatologist, and they removed it, and immediately recognized that it was probably cancer. Did a rush job on pathology. Yes, it was cancer got hold of the surgeons and stuff and they did a rush job to do the surgery and do all the other testing that they had to do to figure out the surgery and all. And so he had a, a spot on his head so they re, the dermatologist removed the mole. The surgeon went in and took a spot out about that big and scraped, all, and scraped the skull. They even took a portion of the skull out, not the whole skull, but just dug into it somewhat. 
And he's, so now he's got a hole in the side of his head that, that big with two incisions that run from three inches to two inches running up his head like this and down his head like this. And, uh, you know, uh, when I come back into the United States, uh, in Africa, for the time I was in Africa, between the fact that things were difficult with electronic stuff and the fact that I wanted to live in denial, I didn't call or talk with him. I thought that they was going to email me stuff, but they didn't. So when I got back, I got to the Atlanta airport, got to the proper concourse and had a few minutes, so I called and talked to him. He was again in the hospital. I had just had another surgery on that Monday. In between the two surgeries, he had been diagnosed with stage 3D in Atlanta. His doctor uses an ABCD scale in the stages and so he's in the very he's just under stage four cancer that's what he was diagnosed with a melanoma a very aggressive form and he had just had his neck operated on which they cut from here to here and removed uh, 17 lymph nodes out of his neck it was a kind of a preemptive strike because everything was on his, his right side. So he'd had this operation on his head, plus to a couple places in his shoulder area removing lymph nodes, and those had been had cancer. So I get back and I'm standing in the middle of the Atlanta airport, crying, you know. And again, do I believe? You know, being a spiritual guy, I said, of course I believe. Absolutely I believe. You know? But I'm not sure what I believe. And so that's what I want to talk about today. That's where I'm at now, is believing. Uh, we did get the pathology back last Thursday, I believe, from the neck. And God's grace is that there was no cancer in any of the lymph nodes whatsoever. So that's like the best news that we could possibly have at this point of this whole ordeal that he's going to walk through. So uh, he goes back June the 6th to be, uh, and they'll put together the protocols and different things that they're going to do to treat this type of cancer as they learn more about it from looking at it. So that's all the updates on what's going on with my son. But in the meantime, I've had to process a lot of stuff about believing and all. And in the process of doing that, uh, God's, probably God's grace and mercy to me is that he switched to my direction a little bit from, from that believing, not totally, but to living in the kingdom of God. And what does that mean? And so this morning as I was looking at things, uh, I had not really realized how much that's talked about in the Gospels. So I'm just going to run through a couple things real quick. In Matthew chapter, and these are the chapters, and I'm just going to give you the chapter numbers, where kingdom is, the word kingdom is, look, in Matthew chapter 3, the first time, of course, is John the Baptist saying, repent, for the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then we find again in chapter, and most of these chapters have multiple times that it's the, king, the word kingdom, heaven, kingdom of God is being used. So chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. <coughs> the, that phrase in some way is used. Kingdom is used. 
either talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, or the kingdoms of this world. Skip from 15 to 16, skip from 16 to 18, and then it's 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. That's a real indicator to me that it's an important subject and one that we should uh, pay more attention to. Mark is pretty much the same thing, 1, 3, 4, 6, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 chapters, all things about the kingdom. Luke, same thing, 1, 4, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 1, 22, and 23 is uh, again about the kingdom. Let me, can I get some Kleenex? Okay, well I'm immobile right now until I pick up your electronics. Oh, there's, but just make it easy. Uh, and uh, and John, it's, it's, there's only two chapters that have things about the kingdom in it because John's like this weird chapter in the Bible. That's what I want to talk about is kingdom. The kingdom of God. Because Bishop's been talking about you know, the kingdom of God and what it's like to, you know, living in the kingdom. And so during one of his messages, I drifted off into the never-never land of my insanity. And I began to put to, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and put together a couple of things. What, is, what, what does that mean you know, in, in the kingdom? And what does it mean about the kingdom? I'm going to read you a verse that, uh, yeah, I should have marked that. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, you, there's so much about the kingdom here. Of course, it's, this is where, you know, if the, whatever you bind, in, uh, y'all give you the keys of the, of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound. Jesus foretells of his death. Um, In verse 28, this is one, this is a verse that's, trouble, you know, that's troubling in Scripture for some people. Me, it has been in the past. I was trying to take stuff so literally. It says, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. So, when does that happen? Or The real question is, when did that happen? Because we know the scriptures don't lie. And so, unfortunately, a lot of Christianity places the coming of the kingdom of God as something that's out there that will happen one day, that Christ will return again, and if you're, if you're a rapture person, people will be raptured, or whatever, and his kingdom be set up, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess, and there will be the thousand-year reign, yada, yada, all that stuff. But it's something that's coming. Well, Scripture really is pretty clear that it's already come. Just this verse, verse here should say, let us know, we should know from this verse, is that it came. Because it's very plain. Standing here who will not taste death 
until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. When Jesus was crucified on Calvary, when He died, the kingdom of God came. It was established. It was real. And it's never ceased to be real. It's just that His kingdom is not the kingdoms of this world. It looks vastly different. His kingdom is, is one of love and grace and mercy. And so when he conquered death, if you know, we might can split the hairs on did his kingdom come when he died on the cross or did his kingdom come when he was resurrected? It came sometime in that period of time. And uh, we know that somewhere in there, it's in, it tells us that he went to hell and preached to the, those in hell and offered salvation to them and stuff. So his kingdom came. He was established as the king of, of all. Not just the king of the Jews, but he became king of all of creation forever. It's just that we get confused with his kingdom because it just looks so totally different than what we've learned and what we learned in history class of what kingdoms should look like. But it does look like what kingdoms should look like. But it just, but it looks different than what kingdoms in the, in the world look like. He still is the ruler and the conqueror. And when he, and when he comes in his glory, and everybody sees him in his glory, just like any king in history, when he came into a city, it, the city had already been conquered. The king didn't come to unconquered cities to proclaim his kingship when he, when he came down the road in the procession with all the trumpets and the banners and the heads on the, on the sticks of all that he had just had been conquered he was king and every knee bowed and confessed his kingship because it had already happened and so that's the situation that the world is in is his kingdom is already here it already exists and when he comes in his glory then that's when every knee shall bow and he, as he comes in his glory. So what does that mean to us? Living in his kingdom. Well I was reminded of Paul. When he, uh, to, in, uh, in Acts. When they drag him off to prison in Jerusalem. Before his trip to Rome. And the guy's fixing to beat him. And scourge him. You know, uh, and the Romans were quite brutal at that. And they liked doing it a lot. But before the man began, Jesus asked him a question. Would you scourge a Roman citizen? And of course, the man stopped. Because that was part of the Roman Empire deal. So if you was a Roman citizen, which citizenship in the Roman Empire was hard to get. It's either born as a citizen because of the, the status of your family in citizenship to Rome, or you bought your citizenship to Rome. And so this military man, Saturian, I guess, said, asked the question of, how did you get your citizenship? Because I bought mine. Paul replied quite proudly, I was born. Well, if you were born a citizen, you were above a guy who bought his citizenship in, in, the, in the Roman world. And so if this man had beaten Paul, had had Paul beaten, he would have probably been executed eventually. So that's how kingdom, living in a kingdom works. Our citizenship like Paul's 
It's not, it's, it's, not, it's like Paul's, but not like Paul's. His, he claimed his citizenship in Rome. We claim our citizenship in heaven. And so in the situations that we come into, whatever kind of situation it is, we need to claim our citizenship in heaven. We need to live our life as if we live in the kingdom of heaven. If you ever uh, do like traveling overseas stuff, and you read all the, the stuff that the State Department puts out there, it always comes down to anything happens. Anything happens. You lose your passport, anything happens, you go to the, embassy, the U.S. Embassy and you will be taken care of. Americans have bad reputations all over the world for being arrogant. And that's just normal because we're the greatest nation that's ever been on the face of this planet. We take for granted things that other people don't even have a paradigm of thinking about. They're just normal. They're, grand, they're just our life. And so we can come off being quite arrogant in foreign countries. And it's because of our citizenship as in the United States. And we have, an, we have recourse for anything happens to us anywhere in the world to proclaim our citizenship, go to our embassy, and we'll be taken care of. You, you can proclaim your citizenship to the local authorities. Go, well, I'm, you know, like something's going on. You first thing you want to do is say, I'm an American. Take me to my embassy. And they'll pretty much do that, unless they're a terrorist state, of course. Then, not so much. You know? So if we do that in the, in the normal, natural course of just living, if we live kind of an arrogant expectation of certain liberties and certain things being done for us, a certain superior attitude when we walk around in this world and other countries and stuff, how much more should it not be that way for us as Christians? Not an arrogance that puts people down, but a, and not really an arrogance, but a holy confidence in God our Father. You know? I loved our, the song choices there. Of course, the first one, very personal. If you know the story of that song to me. And then the one that, you know, uh, he's a good, good father. Do we believe that? You know? That's the question that I have to answer every morning when I get up. You know, I don't, you know, we haven't talked about what the per, percentage of success they have with dealing with stage 3D melanoma cancer and stuff. It's not high. So every morning when I get up, I face the reality that my son could die in a short period of time. One of my very good friends, Father Ralph Talier, died of melanoma. Same thing. Very, it's a very horribly aggressive cancer. But is my father good? In the face of facing something that terrifyingly bad, is he a good father? Of course he is. That's my confession. Even when I don't, I'm not experiencing it. And for me, what God's asking of me is, where do you choose to live? Do you live in this world? 
You're going to live by the rules and regulations and what this world has to say. The rules and regulations in this world, in my world right now, is that my son will die probably in the next year of a horrible cancer that has started very, very close to his brain, so he'll probably affect him mentally in a very, very negative way. That's what the doctors would say. That's what this world would say. But what does God say? You know? Now, I'm not a name it and claim it person. I'm not uh, uh, like everything, nothing ever bad happens to Christians and stuff. So the reality is that I will quite possibly face that as a real reality that my son will die. But the one thing I do know that, my, that I've confessed from the very beginning is that I will never give up. I'll never back down. In that I'll be praying for his healing and believing in it till he dies or I die. Of course, my prayer is that I die first. I don't really don't want to walk through this. Nobody does. Nobody wants to walk through pain and suffering when it becomes so personal. I can do, I can do pretty decent with probably a flat tire on the road. You know. But when it gets so personal, it gets, it gets harder. But in some ways it gets easier because the definition, the defining thing, there's no longer black and white. There's, there's just, there's black and white. That's what it becomes. There's no longer grays. You know, you have to make a decision as, are you going to live in this world over here or this world over here? And that's our choice. Now living in the kingdom of God makes you look pretty, can make you look pretty arrogant, can make you look crazy as a loon. Because everybody else that's not in that kingdom is going like you're nuts. You know, you're believing for something that's impossible. But our God is not is a God of impossibilities. Impossible for Him is a constant. You know, like you know, I have this uh, imagination that Brian can probably appreciate somewhat. Because sometimes I imagine God like somebody telling God, "Well, that's impossible." And I think God would go, I have no understanding of that word. You know? There's no definition. And I created the definitions, by the way. And I actually created almost all of these words in people's minds before there's ever words. But that's one I just don't have in my, in, it's not in my world of thinking. See, because there is nothing that's impossible for God. Nothing. Matter of fact, all the things that we see as horribly terrible, like this situation that I'm facing, there's that parts of me that go that, that become terrified at the impossibility, at the magnitude of it, how horrible it is, and all that kind of stuff. And the, but the reality in the kingdom of God is it is nothing. It is absolutely nothing for God. It's just a minor thing. Extremely minor for him. And so, how should it be for me? That's the problem. And that's, the, that's the, the world that we have to navigate. It becomes easier to navigate this world when we realize that we live, can live in a different world than this world on this earth. 
which most of the things that we really experience from the world's point of view are false narratives. You know, almost always it's almost always the lie of the devil that's out there when you take it if you're not dealing with Christians. And even within Christians, there's a lot of just uh, total misunderstanding about God's grace and mercy and about His kingdom and all. See, anyone who's ever had children has at one time prayed this prayer. God, I don't care what it takes. I just want my children to walk with you. Yeah. You know? The only thing that I know is that for the last two years, my son has not really been in church at all. He's, what, he's a fireman paramedic, so he's full of testosterone and, and ego and pride. and He's a big kid. He's not a kid. He's a big man. He's taller than I am, much bigger than I am everywhere. He works out all the time. You know, it's a big thing. With they, his fire station actually has a gym, its own gym. They put a gym in his fire station because it's, it's the newest fire station that they built. So all the, all the rest of them will have a dedicated gym. Most of them, they just find a space, usually out in the bay behind the stuff. They put a, a bunch of weights in, and they work out whenever they, they are not doing stuff. And sometimes they don't do stuff. You know, sometimes they, they're extremely busy with fires and, and accidents and stuff. So he's a very fit young man. Very egotistical, prideful about all of that kind of stuff. And I prayed that prayer. You know? And so his family is going to church now. You know? Not a church that I would choose, but it's the church that God chose. So I'm just going to take it that it's his place where he's at in life that God will be able to speak to him on the level that he needs to be able to hear at this point in his life to become and to realize how short life can get, how precious life is, and how he doesn't have to live the life that he's been living where now his life has become a life of, of uh, terror at times as him and his wife and children walk through this with each other. See, they don't have a strong Christian foundation. They, they're all Christians. You know, they're just not modern, marginal, you know. Uh, so they don't have what I have. And that is to be able to fall back on that I know, what I know, and I know that God is a good, good Father. I don't understand this stuff. And there's much that happens in all of our lives. And every one of you, you've had these situations come up of some kind that brought you to a moment of despair going, I don't understand. You know? Well, the reason you don't understand is you're living in the wrong kingdom. You know? The more we enter into God's kingdom and live in His kingdom and exist in His kingdom in our hearts and in our minds, the more that we understand, but even beyond that, the more we don't even care to understand. You know, because his ways are not our ways, not in the least little bit. One of the great disservices I'm coming to realize that the church has done throughout history is when we interpreted the New Testament, we interpreted a word that means good news as gospel. The word that's used as gospel, that we say the gospel, is that the meaning of that word is good news. But the word, if I ask you, what does gospel mean to you? 
How, what's your definition of gospel? What does that mean when you hear, go preach the gospel? What does that mean to you? What does that look like? See, in our culture, in our society, we've been taught to preach the gospel is to start with John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And then we hammer them about repenting so that they, be, they can be saved and have eternal life. Well, guys, they've got eternal life. It's just a matter of where they're going to live it. You know? They're going to either live in God's kingdom or they're going to live in another kingdom that is being destroyed by fire for eternity. So what is the good news? What was the good news that Jesus spoke? You know? It says in one of the verses in Matthew, in Matthew 4, I think, that he went about preaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven and healing all the sick and setting captives free, casting out demons and all. So, I want someone to preach the gospel to me today. Okay? I want good news. I really don't care about eternal life. Not today. You know? I need some good news today. Now, don't misunderstand. Eternal life, you know, having being born again and, and having eternal life to sit in the kingdom of God is an awesome, awesome thing. Absolutely. But everyday living is really hard and really difficult. We need the good news. Those people out there, they need good news. Most of them are not walking around going, well, I wonder if I'm going to go to hell, if I'm going to go to heaven. That's really not a thought in their minds most of the time. Occasionally that thought comes because that's the way God works, is that He just sticks them every once in a while and go, like, have you ever thought about this? That's usually what I call the two o'clock in the morning thing when you're, when you're high, stoned, drunk, and there's no one else. There's no one else around, and you go to the bathroom, and you look, in, and you wind up looking in the mirror, realizing what a loser you are. You know, there's you know, there's there's no pretending no more. Reality sets in because it's you. It's the the idiot looking at you is you. You know, and sometimes at that point you'll think, well, I guess I'm probably going to hell. Not much thought about going to heaven. Just that you're going to hell. But most of the time, people out there, me, even now, but more so even then, when I was living that life before Christ, I needed some good news. I needed to know that I didn't have to live that life. See, that's what the good news is. Is you're living this life here, whatever it is, you know, like me, I was doing drugs, you know, selling drugs, doing drugs, had no hope in life. A person asked me one time, said, what was it like living up, growing up in the 60s and the 70s? And I said, it was a life of hopelessness. Culturally, society, we had no hope. As a little kid, 12, 13 years old and stuff, they was teaching me to hide under desk because of a nuclear bomb. Yeah, yeah, think about that. That's about as dumb as a rock. If the building isn't protection, you think of this little bitty half-inch piece of wood on top of a little metal frame desk is going to do anything? Really? 
But that was the world that I was growing up in. And that's why I went off into the addictive behavior and living life at a pace that was meant to kill me. It's because I had no hope. And I knew that. I came to a place that I knew that, and I didn't care. Because the world I was living in was, unless I was like really, really high, and even sometimes when I was really, really high, it was a miserable, horrible world that just totally stunk with no hope. And that's where most people live. And they masquerade it in different ways. And we as Christians do the same thing. We hide behind this. We hide behind music. We hide behind lofty theological thinking and stuff. Rather than in the reality of, I need good news right now because of whatever. Because I've lost my job. Because my car's broke down. Because my kids are acting crazy. Because, because, because. I need some good news. And the good news is that we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in bondage to stuff and to things. The good news is that we don't have to live in this place, this world. We're called to not live here. We're, we're citizens of heaven. And we're just visiting here. It's like going to Africa. I'm just here for a visit. We're all here just for a visit. And the good news is, is that I get to go back here into the kingdom of God. And the even better news is that I can bring the kingdom of God to become the ruling kingdom over here in my life. And then that is like throwing a, a rock in a pond. It just creates that ripple effect. That people begin to see and then people want to know what's, what is it that you've got going on? It's the good news. Try to an, an experiment when you're reading your Bible. Every time you come to the word gospel, just blank it out, you know, somehow, and put good news there. I'm not saying, like, you know, color it out or anything, but just take a sticky note and put good news. And reread that verse. With the idea of good news. Not the idea of salvation, but the idea that good news. Jesus was very plain when he said, go, preach. We call that the gospel. He called it the good news. Heal the sick. Restore the sight to the blind. Set the captives free. And in doing that, something really miraculous happens. We become set free. Set free from the fear and the bondage of another world. When I was talking to Bishop the other day, uh, and he was telling me about the, thinking that you was going to be gone, and that uh, Ronnie's going to be gone next Sunday, and he was kind of feeling me out about if I would come or not, because he knows, you know, he, you know, Bishop's full of so much grace, mercy, and love. You know, he just didn't want to put more on me than I already had on me, kind of thing. And what I told him was, was like, yes, I want to go. I want to go. Because now I'm mad. You know? I feel like the enemy has attacked me through my son. That is, he's trying to kill my faith. He's trying to kill my belief in him as a good, good father. 
And so I want to go on the attack. And so I wanted to come back here after preaching such a lofty message about belief, thinking that I'd have a flat tire, not a diagnosis of melanoma cancer to my, to my son, and proclaim, I, I believe. I don't understand, and I cannot understand, you know, explain it, and I will not say that I believe every second of every day. But it's getting closer to where I just simply believe. Believe that His kingdom is not the kingdom of this world. Believe that whatever happens in this situation, that He's a good Father. And that one day, me and my son will be in heaven together. And it'll just be a question of who goes first, him or me. You know, I, I'm ready, you know. I don't like the idea of my 37-year-old son going to heaven before me and leaving three children and a wife. I'd rather, I'd rather beat him there. But however it works out, however horrible the thing it might be, I believe that God's a good, good father. And so I'm going to be like David, except I'm going to be even worse than David. I'm going to be more hard-headed, more stubborn, more arrogant, with a confidence in the goodness of my father. And I will pray to the last second of his life or my life. If his life comes first, there'll be a moment of sorrow. My prayer is that it'll be a short moment. Then I'll stand up like David, get a bath, put on clean clothes, and continue with life. And that's what we're called to do, is to believe in such a way that it actually begins to manifest the kingdom of God. Because see, when you're outside the kingdom of God, these people out here, they have nothing, no thinking, no nothing on how to deal with issues and problems, except get drunk, do drugs, have sex, run around in circles and jump up and down and act really stupid. That's how the world deals with sorrow. That's how the world deals with suffering. That's how the world deals with any kind of pain. That's so different than the kingdom of God. Again, Brian, to give you something to think about, how many science fiction books have been written over the, over the years now that deal with parallel universes? You know, not just my, my grandchildren suck me into watching Stranger Things. That's like the goo that's like that's horrible. But you know, you do horrible things with your grandchildren. <laughs> and that's basically what that story was about, was parallel universes or parallel times and stuff. Only the problem was is that the their their other parallel was a horrible, demonic, evil place. Well we have the same thing, really. And I think this whole concept of parallel universes are biblically based inside of people to know that there is something other than this here that's going on. Now, if they, if they have a, a, a kind of, if they have some concepts of God going whatsoever, when they write of that, this other parallel universe would be written about as a really cool place that has like everything's awesome, everything's cool. The technology is far, far advanced, and yada, 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 and all that kind of stuff. 
But if they're not purely Christian, writing from a really Christian perspective, they're just good people, they, will, they won't have that that's Christ. But see, we do have that. We're told that. There's this, we're told very plainly, we're not of this world, we're of this world. And so we can see it as a parallel universe, or however we want to see it. But it is different. And like in Stranger Things, it's an upside down. It's totally upside down from the world. The world says, beat your enemy. Take nothing off of nobody. Hit him before he hits you. And the kingdom of God says, turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Pray for them and bless them. That's just crazy. If you're living in this world. But if you begin to live in the kingdom of God and look at what that kingdom, and we've got 2,000 years of history to look at. The kingdom of God has never been advanced by violence. It's always been advanced by persecution and suffering. That's when we've seen the greatest advances of the kingdom of God. It's an upside down kingdom. You know, but it's one that we're called to live in. And so the more we make the decisions of what do we believe about the kingdom of God, and the more we choose to live in that kingdom, the easier it becomes. So that's my journey. That's kind of where I'm at. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm headed for is to live in this other kingdom. And I really want to live it with not an arrogance, but with a supreme confidence of God's kingdom. This trip to Africa, I'll tell you a couple of quick African stories. Uh, that's part of what the African trip was for me, was changing kingdoms and kingdoms' perspective. We saw so many people that were healed. It was just unbelievable. Best, the most people I've ever seen healed in Africa. Uh, Brazil was like that, but Africa is just so different. But we saw people healed of so many different, different things. Uh, I prayed for so many people that had bad, really bad eyesight. They described it as they had a cloud over their eyes and they, they, could, they could just barely see that had their vision restored. Yeah. Me and a young woman named Debbie, T.C. Stoll's sister, prayed for people together one day and we prayed for, I don't know, 10 to 12 or 15 people in a row had identical things. Every one of them had identical problems, which was they were all older, their vision was really bad, they all described it the same way, that it was like a cloud was over their eyes and they could barely see. They had, uh, uh, well not all of them had headaches, but most of them had headaches. They all had a stomach issue of some kind going on and they had a lot of pain in their legs, all down their legs, which those are all classical malaria stuff of people living with malaria. And also, and, all, and they were all women. And so uh, Debbie would anoint their feet and their legs and lay hands on them there. And then I would anoint their eyes and lay hands on their head and stuff. And we'd pray for them. And everyone was healed. Everyone, when we would ask them, well, how's your vision? They'd go, it's clear. We'd go, how's the pain? They'd stand up and go, it's gone. It's gone. Why? Because the kingdom of God had come. And that's the message that Jesus preached. 
is that the kingdom of God is here. That the kingdom of God has come. And if we walk in that, we get to see some incredible things like that. If we just believe, if we start out believing, wow, you know, we're going to get to see the kingdom of God in operation. And we get to see so many amazing things. Uh, two of the ladies that went with Dan, which by the way, Debbie is a convicted felon, done prison time, and has just recently got her life back, you know, straight with the Lord for the last few years. I don't know how many years, but it's not been 20 years, you know. And I really like her because she's just so real, you know. She's normal, you know. She, does, she doesn't have much Christian phrase, phraseology to work with. No. So it was fun to watch her praying for people and see things happening. Uh, two other ladies we took from Georgia, they, uh, in Bishop Epps' church, they had never been on a mission trip like this and never prayed for people like this and stuff. And it was just fun watching them get so excited at seeing people healed. They prayed for one lady that, her, uh, that could not, she could barely see anything now. And her eyes were white. And so they began to pray for her, and she began to see, and her eyes changed color and were normally brown. Now that's cool. Although I didn't get to see that, but they did. But it was cool. You know, it was cool to see them so pumped, so excited, having never really seen anybody healed of things like that in their lives, to be the ones praying for people to be healed. So two other quick things with you. Debbie, we prayed together that day. I had taken a, a, a lot of oil to be, so everybody could have an oil for anointing, and so I'd gotten these little half-ounce bottles with a flip top on them and had given them out to people. And that Debbie, that's what Debbie had. She was praying, so I was watching her, and you know, just because I had done all the oil and had oil to be able to replenish her oil, I kind of paid attention a little bit. I wasn't you know, like stressing with it or just like, but I just noticed that she had used up over at least half, maybe a little more than half of her oil that day. And I, you know, the thought it went through my mind, well, tomorrow uh, I'll need to get, you know, fill her back up with oil so she's got plenty of oil for praying for people. That's the thing. I, this was our first day in Rintobo when we was praying. And so the next morning we got up and we typically, what we did, we'd all eat breakfast together in the morning. Bishop would go over a few things and and try to, you know, like reassure people that was kind of like stressing a little bit or whatever, or just teach a little thing and would have communion together. So we got up the next morning, we're all sitting at the table, and Debbie had this just crazy look on her face, you know, you know, which that's cool. I mean, she's seen so many people heal so many different things, praying for people. <clears throat> she should have a crazy look on her face. She's living in a different world now. And, uh, and so she said, I will show y'all something. And she, so she pulled out her oil bottle and she said, look, it was completely full. Completely full. I mean, it was full, full. And everybody's just looking at her. And I was like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I was like, Lord, that's crazy, man. You know? I just heard this whisper, the oil never runs out in the kingdom. You know? And so... You know, uh, everybody was kind of looking at it. I said, that bottle was half empty or more yesterday. I said, we prayed together and I noticed it. I said, I said guys, that's a miracle. You know, and so everybody got really pumped at that. And I think everybody ran back to their rooms. I know I did. Got their oil and goes, okay, Lord. 
<laughs> Why not, Lord? <laughs> Why not me? <laughs> and I'll... So God not only was healing people, but He was doing some extraordinary signs and wonders. And one of the other things is we was praying, and typically what we did, Bishop, we'd go in the mornings, and Bishop would teach somewhere around 11-ish to 12-ish. And he'd do this little short teaching, and he'd call people up front to come up front, in which at this particular thing, everybody came up front. It was like three-quarters of everybody there, which was thousands of people, uh, would come up front, stand around the stage of a blistering hot sun, and we'd do these, call out words of knowledge about healing and stuff like that. And then uh, we'd just kind of pray for him as a group, and Bishop would be praying for him. And of course, he'd had a translator, and we found this out after one of these, one, we found this one night at dinner, is that the translators were translating into Swahili. Because this, where we was at was close to Rwanda and Tanzania. But also the area that was at was an area that had been heavily persecuted by Idi Amin. Because that was the, the area, why this is done in this area is because of the East African revival. This was an area that when it moved out of Rwanda into Uganda, this was kind of like the hotbed, the, the jumping off point. And so they had these bishops and guys that were just like crazy going for it all the time. So Idi Amin had some of them killed and was persecuting them terribly bad. And so he had like every dictatorship and every, even our country, he had a special squad. And this squad would go and just kill people, trying to find these certain guys to kill them and stuff like that. Persecuted that area of the country horribly bad, and they all spoke in Swahili. We'd be yelling and screaming at them in Swahili. So this part of the, Uganda, the people hate Swahili. And a lot of them just refuse to speak it at all. So I'm telling you all that because that's, it was being translated that way. But when Bishop began to pray for everybody, and at one point, you know, he did something that was a little unusual for him. He just started praying for everybody in tongues very loudly with a microphone and all. And just, and we, as we was just praying for different things, well, one of the, uh, our bishops at dinner said, told us this story and then told him, said, there was four or five times that when you was praying for people, you prayed in their local dialect. And, and, and you were saying, God healed these people. He said it was like four or five different times in the course of this prayer that Bishop actually, his, his prayer language was actually their dialect, their local dialect, saying that. Well, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a pretty cool kind of sidebar kind of miracle to happen. But it really gave people so much faith. And, you know, we saw like, as near as we could tell, uh, so many people that was was praying for there just be healed because we'd ask them you know about stuff raise your hands if you you know and there's some of them raising their hands so that's really uh, what Africa was about it was about walking in a kingdom that was not of this world about coming to a place where that the world you was in in the moments was so different that it was it was sometimes amazing and strange you know, when you pray for 10 or 12 people and they're healed in a row, and then you pray for some, somebody and they're not healed, it, puts a, it kind of throws a monkey wrench in everything. You know, because like, what happened? You know, it's the unusual, not the usual. See, our problem is that we, we stand in this middle gap between the world and the kingdom of God, 
and we do stuff and when nothing happens we jump over in that in this kingdom and go well this just you know we start making excuses you know well it wasn't God's time you know or maybe I messed this up maybe I didn't pray right or yada 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 and we would come up with all these different excuses and everything about why that person wasn't healed or, or whatever our prayer is about delivered whatever but if we would just step over into his kingdom and just simply believe me and Sandra was talking this morning about praying for people's healings and stuff the three that we, we had like five people that had never been to Africa two were, were teenagers that didn't talk they don't teach talking in school no more apparently <laughs> you know at all you know so so they didn't say much but the other three ladies that were all had married had children and all those kind of things uh, we, you know they hadn't been ruined right. you know they just prayed simple prayers God heal this person mm -hmm. you know and they just spoke simple words of uh, be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. They sounded a lot like Peter and John and Paul and Jesus himself. And so he saw miraculous things happening. It's because they stepped over into the kingdom of God, which the kingdom of God is, is a simple kingdom. Jesus said you must become like little children to enter it. It's that simple. You know, rather than being like us real spiritual ones, I would go, well, let me pray again and pray a longer prayer, much more elaborate prayer, much more uh, Christian prayer and all and stuff. You know, I'm, and, and this is not to make fun of, but it is to make fun of, of people when they pray that, you know, and, and most people are much, much better at praying for the sick than I am much much better see much greater results but I always find it comical that uh, people that have no medical knowledge whatsoever will begin praying for the for someone that's having like back problems or they'll be having like a cancer problem and stuff and they're start going through all this medical stuff like you know like naming cells and and vertebrae and tendons and all this kind of stuff and they have no clue what they're talking about well, how can you pray for something you don't even know what you're talking about? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I command this spine to come into alignment. And I've done that. I'll command this spine. And I'm going, I'm not a chiropractor. You know, I don't even know what I'm talking about. You know, I have a vague theory that the spine probably shouldn't be in the shape it's in right now. But I really don't know what shape it should be in even for this particular person. Or the chasing down of, of, of cancer in the human body and stuff like that it's like no Jesus didn't do that he just said be healed and it's because he not only lived in this kingdom here most of us live like in the kingdom kind of here and the kingdom is all the universes that are out there big but Jesus not only walked and lived in the kingdom, Jesus was the kingdom. And it's that simple. It's believing Him for what he says, who He says He is, what He says He's done. And so if you believe that Jesus Christ lives inside of you, what's the problem?
now. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.